There's a lot of wrestling that goes on within us at times until we finally come to that point of surrender to God. There's a passage in Scripture I want us to look at today that we alluded to. We talked a little bit about last week more as a form of an illustration, but I wanted to take a moment to look at it deeper today, and it comes out of 1 Kings. We're going to turn to 1 Kings 18. One of the coolest stories in the Bible, I think, just a, an amazing showdown. During this period of time, you have, you have a king who is not following God, and you have people as a result of that that are not following God, and they're, they're worshiping a false god named Baal rather than the one true God. And during this period of time, there's a drought, as we talked about in James when we finished that up, right? You know, Elijah was just a regular man. It says in James, like, you know, you and me, but he prayed and it didn't rain. I think it says for three and a half years. But then when he did pray, it did rain. And God honored that and blessed it. And so... It's this situation in Israel where there's a drought to the point that the king is out and just looking for grass to be able to feed the animals, essentially. It's dry. There's, there's nothing that's happening. And it's, it's this kind of thing that's intended to get people's attention. But the time comes where, where Elijah connects with King Ahab. And there's this moment, if you will, of, of wrestling. There's a showdown. Who's, who's really God? Who's really the one who's in control? Who's really the one that you should be following? Who's really the one, essentially, that you should be giving yourself to? And so, this great story in 1 Kings 18, we're going to look at and begin in verse 29. And I'm going to give David a second to pull that up. 1 Kings 18, 29. If you're there, lift up your Bible or your phone or whatever you're using this morning. Okay. All right. Okay. Hey, thanks, man. Lift up the computer. That, that works. It says, so Ahab... I'm in the ESV. Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And it says that the people did not answer him a word. How long are you going to keep going back and forth? You know, no one's forcing you to do anything. No one's making you do this or that. If, if Baal's God, fine. You think he's God, even though we clearly know he's not. Knock your socks off. Go right ahead. But if God is God, look, he is, he's asking from some, for something from you, and that's this. Can you just, let's just... Lift up your Bible as you do it too, right? Put your hands up for a second. This is, this is what I want you to leave with today. 
no matter how much I mess up the sermon, <laughs> I want you to leave with, your hand, with your, this picture in your head, surrender. Surrender, okay? You can put them down. You can lift them up. Put them down. I love that. Just, man. Yeah, that's right. First Kings 18, verse 21. If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And it's interesting, it says, and the people did not answer him a word. You ever have that moment, you know, you hear the truth, you know, you know what's going on. It's like, uh, it's just, you're shut down. There's really nothing that you can say. Like, all right. I got it. You know what I'm talking about? Been in that seat, in that moment. People didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And he says, he lays out this this plan, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But of course, here's the catch, but put no fire to it and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you Call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the capital G, God, the true God, who, and it says, and, who, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Here's the, here's the scene. You got an opportunity. It's time for testing. It's time to see what the real deal is. If, if Baal's God, great, let's see if he answers. If, if the Lord is God, let's see if he answers. Enough of this back and forth, enough of this toe in the water. And, and you know, what, what do we, we talked about James, right? We talked about people that were unstable, right? That man shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. He's unstable in all his ways. He's tossed around like a wave of the sea, just kind of pushed back and forth. You ever been like that? Yeah. So the, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it's well spoken, or in your version, it's like, okay, let's do it. Sounds like a good plan. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. You get to go first. I'll let you choose the bull that you want. Maybe there's one that looks a little drier than the other. I guess it would catch on fire easier. I don't know. It's going to be in your opportunity to choose it. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so it says, and they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. Now, as I mentioned last week, you know, the thing about Baal was he was considered the, the god of lightning, among other things. And so it should have been easy 
for him to go ahead and say, all right, here's the showdown. Yeah, we'll show that Elijah what, what, what's what, and zap, there's, there's hamburger for everybody and steak tonight. Okay? Home court advantage. Own bull, get to go first. You know, they had from morning at this point until noon. They are just going at it. But it says this, but there was what? No voice. No voice and no one answered. And no fire yeah, and no fire. That's right. No voice, no one answered, no lightning, no fire. And it says, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And it's funny, it says, and at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud, you know, shout louder. I guess what you're missing is more passion. <laughs> cry aloud, it says, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or I love this, or he is what? Yeah, your God had to leave and go potty. Maybe he just didn't get the call, okay? He's relieving himself or he's, he's on a journey. I'm sorry, you know, he flipped the sign out of the office until two and it's only noon. Not gonna show up to light your fire. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. That's just such a funny moment. What's the deal? Why isn't anything happening? And it says this, and they cried aloud, and then it says, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. They, they literally gave their blood, cut themselves to try to get Baal's attention. But that's, that's, as, that's as good as as coming over to this mic stand and trying to get this mic stand to do something. No matter how passionate I am, no matter how much I dance and circle around, thank you, David, that's interesting, you know, and, <laughs> and do all that kind of stuff, nothing is going to happen. This microphone cannot save me. This microphone stand cannot save me. It will not send fire. It will not reply. It will not be there in all my need. And it's silly to, to see that displayed where Elijah says, come on, pour it all out. Now's your chance. Now's your opportunity. Make this happen. You want to bail to come and save you? Here's your chance. Go to the ends. Give it all you've got. Here's the opportunity. They cried and they cut themselves with swords and lances. It says the blood gushed out. And it says, and as midday now passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. So until the, the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. Say this one with me. No one answered. No one what? No one paid attention. Why? Bail ain't real. 
What a waste of time. But we don't do that, right? We don't put our effort into things that don't matter. We don't lean on things that don't help us. They'd really bought into that lie. And they bought into it too because it was coming from the king and his wife Jezebel who were all about Baal. And it was very difficult to stand up to that even though it wasn't real because she was the kind of person that was ruthless that was going to just take you out and she had she had already killed a bunch of prophets. And a bunch of the prophets had been hidden in caves and this kind of stuff because it was a crazy, crazy time. You know, it's interesting when we, can, we consider, you know, there are places, of course, across the world where to be a Christian is, is that unsafe. But you have, you have people that are so passionate in love with Jesus that they risk their life because he is the one true God. So that's the thing we always have to wrestle with sometimes. There is no other answer. There is no other way. There is no other one who is going to satisfy, who's going to give us peace, that's going to give us life, that's going to make things the way that they need to be. We can't turn away from the God who made us, the one who shaped us and formed us and stop for a second and look at the fingerprints. It happened by accident. You're created in the image of God. You're created to honor and to worship Him, that your life literally is made for Him. And so this wrestling takes place and these guys come to the end of it. No one answered. No one paid attention. You can see at this point, they've just got to be exhausted. You know, it just kind of reminds me of these illustrations I've heard of, and I I certainly don't recommend this kind of parenting, but I think about the the story of the father that found his kid smoking a cigarette. And said, oh, okay, you want to smoke cigarettes? You, You smoke this entire pack right now. You know, and of course the kid's just sick and throwing up at the end of it. He was like, is that what you want? What's that happened to you, Brad? Tell us your story while you're at it. That's what you want. That's, that's what you get, right? This is, this is where you are. And so when they come to the end of that and they realize the results of all that they had done, that is interesting. It says, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. see them kind of limping their way towards him, all bloodied and, and, and beat up from jumping around. And just a, a rough day of, all right, well, how, how crazy is this? 
come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And it says that he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He had to fix it first before he could even do anything. It's kind of like people hadn't had church in a long time and they had to, you know, get the seats dusted up and put back together and, you know, the microphones aren't working and there's hadn't been a guitar in here and this, that, and the other, you know. He had to repair the altar before he could even offer a sacrifice to God because it had been ignored. He repaired, he repaired it, and it says, And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. First of all, remember, it's been a drought for the longest to the point that they're wandering around looking for any kinds of green blades of grass to, to feed the animals. Where's the water come from? I'm sure there was some kind of water stored up, but water at that point is very precious, isn't it? Elijah had to repair the altar, gets things together, and then gives the, probably the most precious commodity at the moment and dumps it on to the offering. Pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. It's so amazing because like the whole idea, these, you know, the prophets of Baal didn't do any of that. And it was already going to be a situation where, you know, how is this going to happen? Right? This is already an impossible situation. Well, first of all, because Baal ain't real. But then Elijah goes a step further and says, look, I'm going to make it even more difficult, even more, quote, impossible. We're going to dump water all over anything, all over everything. You know, it's one thing for God to, to answer by fire. We're going to make the wood wet. One, two, three times where it's just filling the trench. And I'm sure probably some of the wood's floating. Who knows what it looked like? It had to be a big mess. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. I wonder how long it would have taken to say that prayer. I just read it. 
what, 20 seconds? And you have the prophets of Baal who, from morning until evening, just trying and trying and trying. Elijah says this prayer. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, what does it say? And they said, what? The Lord is God. The Lord, He is God. It's that moment where they finally did this, isn't it? The Lord is God. So many times in our life we keep acting like the prophets of Baal. We keep trying to, to, to make things happen in other ways or we rely on ourselves, or, you know, all these different kinds of things. When, when God is who we've needed all along. And there was a moment of surrender. There was a moment of realizing, no, it's, it's the Lord is God. The Lord, He is God. With that in mind, you know, when we, when we consider Jesus, we consider what he has done for us, when we consider the love of God. First of all, just, just hear this as if you're hearing it for the first time. God literally came down and became like one of us with skin on and gave his life so that our sins, our past, our troubles, our mistakes, our issues, all that kind of stuff would be wiped away, that we would be forgiven, and that we would be clean, that we would be brand new, that because of Jesus and no one else, that in God's eyes, we would be considered righteous and holy, as if we had never sinned. It's all because of Jesus. Brand new life, as we've said over and over. The old, it's what? It's passed away. It's, passed away. it's gone. The new is what? It's come. A new life. And that's, that's about right now. It's not just about heaven. It's about right now. Because it's about it's not just fire insurance. It's not making sure that we miss hell and we go to heaven. It's about a relationship with God that's been established, a relationship with Jesus. And so when you, when you take that into account, when you consider the love that he has for us, it it causes something within us, that, that, that raising of hands, that, that surrender causes something on the inside. What is, our, what is our response? And when you see in this story, they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They recognized who he truly was. They recognized that, that he was God, that he was in control. But as we look in the New Testament, I want to look at a couple of passages as we're, as we're considering the story today. I want us to 
to take a look at 2 Corinthians, actually, chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 14. Second Corinthians five fourteen. Give you a chance to flip there. Everybody there? So this this love that that Christ has shown us in verse fourteen it says for the love of in the ESV it says for the love of Christ controls us, but another passage, another version it says compels us. It's this. It's this magnetism, it's this drawing force, if you will. This, the love of Christ compels us. It, it draws us to want to do something. It compels us, and it says that um, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for who? They might not. Lo- they may no longer live for themselves, but for who? Yeah. I'm not living for myself any longer, but living for Him. Understanding, truly grasping the love that Jesus has for us is something that motivates us to live our lives for Him. That our lives become all about Him, and not ourselves. Love motivates like nothing else. You know, there are, there are things, and, and, and she is, you know, God is obviously much bigger in the equation, but because I love my wife, there are things that I, that I do because of just this natural love that I have for. It compels me to want to do more. It's kind of like that old uh, movie, and I, I can't remember where it's from right now, but it's like, it's like the greatest compliment like the, the girl could have received. It's like, yeah, she makes me want to be a better man. Jack yeah, where's that from? Uh, what movie? Yeah. It, it's like Ragu. It's in there. As good as it gets. Yeah. She makes me want to be a better man. You know? The love of Christ compels us. It, it draws us in. It, want, it makes us want to be the people that he's called us to be. It's, it's, it's calling us then to a life of worship. A life of what? Surrender. 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 Again, put your arms up. This is, this is the, the visual for today. All right? It's a life of surrender. It says, from, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I think that's interesting because it says it, that, that we, when we look at people, we're looking deeper than the outside, right? We're looking at the inside. It says, therefore, and here's, here's our verse, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new 
has what? It's come. It's huge. Let's take a look at another passage of Scripture. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 2. Continuing to think about surrender, right? Our lives belonging to Him. This is what Paul had to say about that. He said, I've been, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's quite a perspective. Again, it's, it's not about me, it's about, it's about Him. My life is Him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's another passage that says this. And it's, and it's by faith in Him, isn't it? Daily faith, moment by moment faith, trusting in Him. God doesn't always act the way we want Him to. He doesn't always respond the way that we want Him to or the timetable that, that we want Him to respond. But, but it's by faith and in faith, Elijah asked God to light, some, to light the sacrifice, and he did. But this faith was in the right place, whereas the prophets of Baal were just jumping around, placing their faith in, 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 into nothing. You have to s surrender to the, right, to, the right, to the right one, don't you? It's no longer about us, Paul says, that Christ lives in me. I live by faith in Christ. I want us to look at one last passage as we kind of wrap things up this morning. Turn to Romans chapter 12. You think about the whole idea of surrender this morning and the, the, the story of, of sacrifice this morning too. And, and, and keeping with that theme and looking at that, Romans 12, Paul says this, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He says this, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Living sacrifice, those things don't seem to go together, right? 
a living sacrifice because he's not trying to be weird here. He's not trying to tell you to take your life, okay? Not, that's, that's not the point intended here. It's about being a living sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice is what? Is to give everything, you know? That sacrifice that, you know, it was lit by, that, that God says he consumed it. To be a living sacrifice means that your life was essentially consumed and it's all about him. So if you picture that in your head, he says this to, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, the only problem, and I've, I've heard, uh, I don't remember whoever said it, um, some pastor in the past said the only problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps wanting to crawl off the altar. Right? Remember the illustration that we had with, with David up here on the chair? You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not doing it again. You have it in your heads. David's like, no, no. Um, you know, it's... I'm such a softy. So, <laughs> now we're going to, we, yeah, we, did we use a stool? We did use a stool last, yeah, let's use a stool. Thanks, sir. So don't, don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a one-time skit. <laughs> so, again, and this, this is something that, you know, and I know it's funny, but, you know, but if this stool represents your life, represents who you are, you know, the, the stool is meant to, to be sat on, Right? Who's, who's in control of this? You know, yeah. Whoever is sitting on this, this is your life, is, you know, is in control of your life. They're making the decisions. You know, it's kind of the steering wheel in a way. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. This is the throne, if you will, of your life. And the thing is, is that, you know, we, we go through life, Right? And we carry this with us and we want to do whatever we want to do with it. This is mine. No one's going to take my throne or my seat. I'm going to do with it whatever I want. Problem is, is as, as many of us have learned, if we do that, that's, that's just not how this was intended. It doesn't work that way. Because when we're in control, we, we make poor decisions. We, we destroy this. And so as we, as we think about really the, the very aspect of what this is saying, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This needs to be given, and in, in this illustration, David represents God, represents Jesus. And so that the whole point would be that that you present yourself, your life, your decisions, all that you are to Jesus 
and he sits in that seat. That's really what Christianity is. To become a Christian, we, we say a prayer and we ask the Lord for forgiveness. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. But, but the rest of it is, is giving our life, literally giving the stool to Christ, saying, I am no, this, is, this is yours. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. <laughs> but as I said, the problem with the living sacrifice many times is, is that we, we, we want to crawl off the altar, you know, and... And, and, and Jesus, Jesus if, if, if he's on the altar of our, of our lives here, he's going to be the one making decisions. And in church, on Sunday morning, we're like, yes, right? Jesus, Jesus, take the wheel, you know, take it all. You take control. It's like very emotional sometimes, isn't it? We all have those moments where we're like, yeah, you know, we make the right decisions and we do the right things, you know. I consider that in my dieting. It's like, yeah, I've had chicken and vegetables today. I'm doing good. And then there's other times where I'm just like, I want cheesecake. Yeah. But with our lives, again, you know, it's all going good and fine until Jesus tells us to stop doing something. that doesn't belong in your life. And then you're kind of like, well, Jesus, you know, um, I don't know if I'm really kind of com comfortable with that, right? Or he, it's not just about taking things away. It can also be about adding things to your life. You know, I, in my case, it's like, you know, Jesus says, I'd like you to lose a little bit of sleep and spend some time with me in the morning through reading your Bible, through prayer. I'm like, but Lord, I, I just kind of want to sleep a little bit longer. It's, it's sat, sat, Saturday. Can I please have this back for a little bit? You know? And this, this is not sustainable, is it? This doesn't work. This kind of stool was meant for one. And I'm going to tell you what. The throne of our hearts only fits one. We don't belong there. The only way that it works, that life makes sense, is when Jesus is at the center. And this, you know, this is very spiritual, it's very deep, but it also is very practical. It makes sense to me that if God made us, that he knows what he's doing. You know? If he's the one that put us together, if he's the one that molded us and shaped us, if he's the one that made this universe, he's the one that did all this kind of stuff, he knows what's best. It only makes sense that he would be in control. And the wrestling 
sometimes comes and we, we think that we know better, as silly as it sounds in church, than God. Ah, I know what's best for myself. I know what I, I know what I, you know, I know what I really want. I know what I really need. But we're, we're like kids many times. It's like, I want to keep eating this candy. And your parents are like, no, no. If you, if you eat anymore, you're going to throw up. And what do you do? Yeah. That's where the faith comes in, that you realize that, that Jesus really does know what he's talking about. That he really is God. And you place your faith in him, you place your life and your trust and all that you are in him. Because life, and you'll hear me say this a million times, makes no sense without Jesus. And so he says, thank you, David, he says, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is really key. Which is your spiritual worship? How, how, how do you truly worship? I mean, the singing and, and, and all that kind of stuff is a part of it, and that's wonderful and great. But truly worshiping is this. It's, it's arms raised. It's surrender. This is how, Jesus says, this is how you worship me. You let go. You can't control the wheel when your hands are up here. You can't have faith when your hands are down here. It's up here. This is how you worship. You worship by letting go and letting him be in control. It's all about him. This is your spiritual act of worship. You worship God by giving him the throne, acknowledging that he has the throne, acknowledging that he's in control, acknowledging that he knows best. It says, and, and do not be conformed to this world. That means don't, don't be thinking you've got to fit into the mold of what the world has to say. That's that back and forth choice. Is God know best or does the world know best? The world says this is the way you live. This is the way to be happy. And Jesus says something entirely different. Those two things are going to butt heads all along. Don't be conformed to the world, but be, and this is so key, transformed by the renewal of your mind. We have to think differently. That illustration with the stool, you talk to somebody else out there who doesn't understand God or know who he is, they, they don't get that. We've many times kind of grown up thinking a certain way. We have to... We have, to real, we have to begin to think the way that God does and to understand who he really is and what he's asking. And, and that's why this is so important. You cannot renew your mind. You can't change the way that you think about things without understanding what God actually says. That's why this is important. This isn't because you're, you're supposed to have a checklist. You won't be accepted and loved by Jesus unless you read the entire Bible and know it inside and out and memorize scripture. 
It's about understanding. It's about the result of that and realizing who God is and what He says and how to live and, and how it all fits together. It's about putting it into action. Otherwise, it's meaningless. My knowledge is worthless unless I act on it. You know? Brad's got four flat tires out there, but he can know how to change them all. But if he don't, what good is it? He doesn't really have four flat tires, but. <laughs> so be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You think differently, you act differently, you know? Can you think of something that you used to think a certain way and then you changed your mind? That's really difficult to do. You know, you ever been in an argument with somebody? Raise your hand if you've ever been in an argument with somebody. <laughs> Diane and I are in an argument about designing our bathroom in a certain way. And we're back, and it sounds really stupid, right? Most arguments are. If you knew the whole story, you'd realize yeah. it's not stupid. <laughs> don't, don't, don't even ask, okay? Please. But it's just like, it's this back and forth, you know, my way's what's right. No, my way's what's right. To, to try to get someone to change their mind, you know, oftentimes is miraculous. It truly requires the power of the Lord to, to, to transform the way we think. Because the way that you think changes your actions, it changes the course of your life. And there are so many things that we twist and turn and... and we don't even realize, we don't take it to Scripture and see what the Bible actually has to say about things. We're very selective sometimes. We have to listen. So he says, be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is interesting, that's, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. If your mind is being transformed and you're beginning to think like God, then I believe what this is saying is then something comes your way, then it can be tested and say, is this what God wants or not? And then you'll know and understand God's perfect will. Because every day, every moment, there are times we're tested. What, and then you have to stop, what does God say about this? If your mind has been renewed, you begin to think the way God does, and you say, okay, I need to do this. This is the heart of God. This is what Scripture has to say. And because God says this, I'm going to do that. Because this is the path of life, and this is the path of death. I want to be on the path of life. I want to know and experience that love and grace and, and life and comfort that only comes from Him, no matter what the circumstance. That's what's so great when you really, that's, that's, that's the thing. If you just have Jesus, you literally have all you need. You know? I don't know what's going to happen to me in the future. You know? 
thing is, is that things come and they, they go and money comes and it goes and this comes and it goes. But the one thing that remains is Jesus. If you can get that, I won't say that, him. If you grasp that, you embrace that relationship with Christ, you have everything you will ever truly need. It's true. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. He says what is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect in Scripture many times really means complete. This morning I'll ask you to stand. And uh, wow, we roll in today with time, aren't we? I want you to keep that visual of your arms raised. When somebody asks you today um, what church was about, it's going to be really easy. All you got to do is this. It's an easy one to remember, you know? It's about this. 